You are listening to Redefining Disability, an adaptive sports podcast brought to you by Move United. I am your host, Sean Butcher, and I have the privilege of serving as the editor of Move United Magazine, the nation's leading adaptive sports publication. Each week, tune in to hear how sports have made it possible for our nation's adaptive athletes, training tips from the best coaches and program leaders, and news on the latest technology, equipment, and trends in the industry. Elena Nichols is a world-class athlete with a passion for challenging herself and others. After suffering a spinal cord injury at age 17, while attempting a backflip on her snowboard, Elena quickly transitioned to adaptive sports. She is a five-time Paralympian and a six-time Paralympic medalist, including three gold, two silver, and a bronze. In fact, she is the first American female to win gold medals at both the Summer and Winter Paralympic Games. Elena has competed in three sports at the Paralympic level, including wheelchair basketball, alpine skiing, and sprint kayaking. Now, she has turned her attention to competitive surfing. Elena is past president of the Women's Sports Foundation and served as one of the NBC commentators for the Tokyo Paralympics. Elena, thank you for being my guest. Now, I know you have a young one at home with you, so I thought I would start by asking you, how's it being a relatively new mom? You know, it is... Probably in a in short, one of the hardest things I've ever done, even considering all my Paralympic sports, but also the most rich and rewarding and awe-inspiring experience. So I, it's balanced, I guess. It's it's awesome. And I'm sure, just like sports, there's a lot of uh, it's a mental game, and I'm sure it's a mental game uh, with with Gunner as well. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I took a lot of my athletic, um, you know, the things I learned as an athlete as far as focusing on the present moment into motherhood, especially I used to tell myself when I would be sitting in the start gate at a downhill, I used to say, okay, I can do anything for a minute and a half. And I think that's kind of what I tell myself when I'm mothering and it's overwhelming and I just think, okay, I can do anything for an entire day, I guess. That would make a great book translating the, (laughs) you know, athlete skills to parenting skills. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, So I wanted to just talk a little bit about uh, your, how you got started in adaptive sports. Uh, Obviously you've, uh, and I'm really intrigued by the, number of sports and activities you've played and, and like where, where that's leading you to, you know, down the road and in the future. So maybe uh, for those that may not familiar, be familiar with your background, talk a little bit about how you got involved in adaptive sports specifically. Yeah. Um, well, it wasn't by choice necessarily as most Paralympians experience. I had a, a, a spinal cord injury when I was 17 um, was out back country and over rotated a backflip landing directly on a rock on my lower back. And uh, I was a three sport athlete before my injury. And, you know, obviously was completely lost afterwards, just having no use of my lower body. And it took about two years. This was back in 2000. Thankfully, nowadays, There's organizations in place and social media, you know, that creates this awareness after a spinal cord injury that really helps people know that their life isn't over. And, you know, my 
my uh, partner, Roy Tuscany, runs a foundation called the High Fives Foundation, and that's exactly what they do. Uh, raise money for people with new spinal cord and brain injuries to get back into adaptive sports. And so um, anyways, back in 2000, there was not a lot going on uh, on the internet or anywhere else for me to know that I could get involved. So I actually just happened upon a whole group of people playing wheelchair basketball at the university of New Mexico. And, um, you know, it kind of blew my mind. I, I didn't know that there were other people in wheelchairs, let alone people that were being active. And to that point, like extremely athletic. And, you know, for me to see wheelchair basketball in person really kind of dropped my jaw. And I was kind of, I needed to see it because I was a very dedicated fast pitch softball athlete that I didn't think adaptive sports were legitimate and I didn't think that they would challenge me. But when I saw it, um, I quickly learned that it takes a, a lot of coordination and mm-hmm. athletic ability and strength to play wheelchair basketball. Also it's like aggressive and violent. And I loved that. <laughs> I needed that. So I started playing wheelchair basketball in about 2002 and um, after that, I just, I just really, you know, it kind of changed everything for me. I, I started really investing in school and I just, you know, I needed to move again after my injury and everything that happens when you're able to be active, you know, you start getting those endorphins running and your heart starts pounding and, you know, you start feeling hopeful as kind of a byproduct of, athletics and for me I just I didn't realize it but wheelchair basketball is kind of rehabilitating my life without me knowing it Mm -hmm. and uh, so that's kind of how I started and then you know I learned about a program at the University of Arizona for all an all-women's team and I moved out there and shortly thereafter I learned about the Paralympic Games and the possibility of me competing at an elite level and just ran with it (laughs) Or pushed with it, rather. <laughs> and so, so yeah, exactly. So 2002, yeah. uh, you know, obviously making your first Paralympic Games right in 2008, I believe. Yes. And and so what was it like during that, you know, that, that six-year period, of, you know, being first introduced to it, to um, wanting to train and compete at, you know, and not just do it recreationally, but at the competitive and, and highest, you know, elite level? Yeah, well, I had always dreamt of playing collegiate fast pitch softball. I, you know, was dreaming big when I was 17 and was hoping I'd be on the Olympic softball team as well. And so for me to be able to have the option of, you know, fulfilling those dreams at a Paralympic level, it it really lit me up. And I I didn't even look back. I mean, I didn't doubt that I would be a part of that team, even though I made the team in 2004 as a rookie um, and an alternate to the team that went to Greece. I didn't go to Greece. So, but I did start training with the Paralympic team at that time. And, you know, that was really when it, it was a pivotal experience for me because I started training with the best, you know, and most elite women in the world. And I rose to the, to that level. And, 
I'm just really grateful that the coach at that time saw potential in me. I was very raw and green <laughs> and, but I, you know, being an athlete before my injury, I, I worked really hard and thankfully uh, as we started training for Beijing, I was recruited to play at the university of Alabama on their women's wheelchair basketball team as well to do um, also do my master's degree. And that was another really important step in my development. Um, the university of Alabama has one of the most developed programs in the country for men and women's wheelchair basketball. So um, that really set me up for success going into Beijing and, um, not to mention, we just had a great team. At what point or either <laughs> mentally or emotionally or physically, did you say, I am, you know, I won a gold medal, obviously in 2008. I want to try a winter sport too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, it's so funny how once you start believing in the possibilities, then it gets a little ridiculous because for me, even before I went to Beijing, I had visited the uh, National Sports Center for the Disabled in Winter Park, Colorado. It was actually not long before Beijing. And I met the coach and I I told him what my plans were. I said, I'd love to go to Beijing. And with the small amount of money that we win, um, I'd like to put that towards your program, move out to Winter Park from Alabama, and then um, train and compete for Vancouver in 2010 and it was uh, such a good conversation because of course the coach Eric Peterson was like listen how about you start thinking about 2014 the Sochi games (laughs) because a you don't even ski independently right now and b um you know that's impossible and he loves to eat his words because I did exactly what I had planned on doing, which I don't take any credit for. It's an insane dream, but it, you know, it wouldn't have happened if I didn't think big enough to, to even set that in motion. So um, I, yeah, I moved after Beijing, moved out to Winter Park, Colorado, and I just skied my brains out. I skied every day of the week and I crashed a lot and I had some injuries, but I ended up winning my first downhill at the national races in Canada at the end of that season. And that's really what I think was, I guess, the first glimmer of hope that that dream, that dream would actually come true. And, you know, I was still, again, really raw and I skied really fast, but uh, I had to hone my skills over the following year to show up in Vancouver and be able to ski like I did there. So, yeah, and you, I mean, obviously, you partnered and 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 connected with the uh, right the great program, great program with Eric. I mean, Eric does a fabulous job at at NSED, which is which is one of our chapters. And I know a lot of athletes uh, have gone through that program and will continue to go through that program. Absolutely, one of the things Eric did that. Um, was important was he kind of pushed me out of the nest. He, you know, he requires his athletes to be able to carry their own mono ski and get into it independently, load the lift and, and meet them at the top of the course. And I hadn't really done that when I showed up from my first day of training. And so 
um, as hard as that day was, it was really important that I, I had to do that. And, and so you did make the, um, 2012 games, uh, or 2010 games and you excelled at the, Mm -hmm. at them with, uh, I think you won two golds and a silver. So, uh, you knocked everyone's socks off there, (laughs) if you will. (laughs) I did. I actually won two golds. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Two golds, a silver and a bronze and became the first female American to win gold in the summer and winter. So I sort of made history (laughs) without even planning on it. Yeah. It was amazing. And the timing of that just really was working in my favor. And so, you know, you continue to kind of bounce between summer and winter games um, and, and 12 and 14 as well. But in 16, Mm -hmm. you took on a different sport altogether. How did you get into sprint kayaking? Yeah. Well, so after the 2012 games, we ended up getting fourth place there, which on a devastating loss, um, it was a bad call from a ref in the semifinal that put us into the bronze medal match. And we lost to the Dutch, who we'd never lost to before. And it was just, devastating I hung up my basketball chair knowing you know that was that was the end of my basketball career but I did go on to compete um and focus completely on ski racing for 2014 um I had a bad injury I ended up dislocating my right shoulder up at Mount Hood while I was training right before those games and um then I got to Sochi after a lot of rehab and you know, was pretty beat up and I ended up falling directly on my face in the Super G race um, in Sochi, took a helicopter to the Russian hospital, which was a whole different story. And then, you know, I got home and I just, I just felt completely beat up again. And so um, luckily I was uh, sponsored by the Hilton at the time. The Hilton had asked me before Sochi if I could take a vacation, where would I go? And so naturally I asked my grandma where she wanted to go. My grandma raised me and I, she's my hero. So I, was, I told her, wherever you want to go, grandma. And she said uh, she'd like to go out to Honolulu to see the Pearl Harbor Museum. And so wow. we did that right after the Sochi Games. And while I was there, I came across a program called Access Surf, and they're based in Honolulu, and they are a nonprofit that creates opportunities for people with disabilities to learn how to surf. And so while I was there, I got on my first wave ski, and I caught my first wave, and it ruined my life, is what I like to say, because (laughs) I couldn't think of anything else I wanted to do more than surf after that and so I ended up going back to Hawaii later that summer for a big competition called Duke's Fest. I met all of the adaptive surfers at that time and I learned that there was a huge group of people that were adaptive surfing down in San Diego and while I was there in Honolulu I met one of my best friends his name is Spike Keen. And he's a legend. Uh, he broke his back in a motorcycle accident, but he's a sailor and a wooden boat builder and a surfer. And he 
also had taught uh, kayak in Liverpool, uh, England in his younger days. And I thought, okay, I want to paddle. I want to surf and I want to be the best in the world. And I know Paracanoe is making its debut in the 2016 games. So putting it all together, I decided I'm moving to San Diego. I'm going to pursue the 2016 game, become the best paddler I can and surf, you know, in the meantime. And it turns out I bit off way more than I can chew because uh, paracanoe is one of the hardest things I've ever done. I'm not much of an endurance athlete and this required just a grind. I mean, we were on Mission Bay in San Diego every morning at 6 a.m. Uh, for two hours and then back again at 4 p.m. for another hour. And it was so hard. And I don't think I ever got that good at it. <laughs> I mean, it takes years to to be uh, really good at sprint kayak. So Luckily, I was able to make the 2016 games. I did get put into a category with mostly single leg amputees. So being a paraplegic, I I was really challenged in that way. But, um, you know, I focused on the journey instead of, you know, the end result of winning. And I was really glad I did that. And I became a really strong paddler. And it really helped me um, compete compete against the boys in surfing so after the 2016 games I continued to surf and um, I was actually at one point I was able to beat all the boys in a competition and uh, that was kind of the pinnacle of my surfing career when I there's a particular person his name is Jeff Munson and he's the best active surfer in the world Sorry, mm -hmm. about and uh, I was able to I was able to outsurf him in one competition and that was definitely the highlight of my surfing career thus far. I could, I could only imagine. And he, and, and you probably still let him know about that every now and then, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Along with the rest of the boys. <laughs> and, and I know that um, there's a lot of activity and movement in, in surfing as, as you know, as it, makes its way hopefully to the, the Paralympic Games. How, how, you know, what is the likelihood of that from your perspective? Which is uh, hosted by the International Surf Association, which is also the governing body for adaptive surfing. Um, I'm also on the board of the ISA. So hmm. we are doing everything we can to, uh, you know, check all the boxes to get it into the 2028 Games in L.A., um, in the meantime, we're just growing the sport. And the last competition we had was pretty amazing. We had over 90 athletes from 30 different countries wow. competing in six different categories. So everyone from a quadriplegic who lays on the surfboard in the prone position to, you know, a below the knee amputee um, surfing with a prosthetic and then there's me in the wave ski division as well. Um, it's the most amazing event. Um, you know, it takes a lot of work for a quadriplegic to get into a wetsuit, get into the ocean and surf a wave. And um, it's 
you know, I, I hesitate to use the word inspiring because we get that all the time, but when I'm inspired as an adaptive athlete, then you know, it's really good. <laughs> that, I mean, that sounds amazing. And, and what a, an amazing community and gathering and, and I, and I can only imagine the, the level of competition and, and camaraderie there mm-hmm. as well. You Absolutely. Yeah. You've been, uh, I know that you're president of the Women's Sports Foundation. And can you, you know, tell uh, for maybe the listeners that aren't familiar with the, the organization and the work that the organization does, can you tell us a little bit about um, that, what the, the work of the organization? And I also want to talk about, you know, we first met at the National Girls and Women in Sport Day and, and talk about that mm-hmm. annual event as well. Yeah, so the Women's Sports Foundation was uh, founded by Billie Jean King in 1974, uh, basically to continue to fight for equality in women's sports. And I had no idea of the organization until after the 2010 Games when I was nominated for Sportswoman of the Year for their annual gala. And when I showed up at that event, I couldn't believe, you know, the the level of, I don't know, powerful women and supporters in that room. And they hold the gala in, in uh, lower Manhattan every year. And so showing up to a red carpet event in lower Manhattan was pretty fancy. But, you know, being able to be in the room with the legend that is Billie Jean King was way more important to me. (laughs) And so after that, I, I got the opportunity to join the board and kind of be the voice for athletes with disabilities. And um, I've had an incredible experience on that board. And more recently I was given the opportunity to serve as president and um, you know, really, kind of change the way that people, women specifically with disabilities and young girls with disabilities are integrated into the organization. So, you know, just kind of raising more awareness, but also advocating for equality on that level as well. Um, And so uh, my first assignment as president was in DC in February where we met And it was for National Girls and Women in Sports Day, where we kind of joined forces across the country. It's a national holiday, not specific to the Women's Sports Foundation, but uh, the Women's Sports Foundation is research-based. And one exciting thing that they did this year was come out with a, a report called the Equity Project. And it's a landscape view of what's currently going on for girls and women in sports from both uh, the whole spectrum really of young girls and their participation and why that's actually declining to collegiate sports and, you know, the compliance of title nine to professional women's sports and the media coverage that we're lacking. And it kind of goes full circle really, because young girls, they don't see their heroes playing and competing and being successful on TV and that kind of discourages them from, you know, continuing to play because they don't see their future there. 
And it's a, it's a really powerful report. And so one thing we were doing in D.C. for National Girls and Women's in Sports Day was advocating and lobby, lobbying on Capitol Hill um, for pieces of legislation that are directly tied to equality. And so I was really honored to be there. I got to bring my little boy, Gunner. So we're starting him young um, with That's advocating. Right. <laughs> yep. And he wore his three-piece suit on Capitol Hill. Oh, my god. So it was goodness. really cute. <laughs> yeah. And so then with that, uh, we also had a girls' clinic where we um, hosted, I think we had over 50 girls there. Um <laughs> And we played a number of sports and we got to speak to them about our athletic career, me and about five other women, um, professional athletes. And uh, I think it was really impactful. And um, one of the things that we're doing with that equity project is actually going to kick off on Sunday, uh, April 8th, which I'm sorry, March 8th, which is International Women's Day. And uh, we're going to be asking people to take the pledge for equality and uh, get more involved. So stay tuned for that. Um, And yeah, I will continue to uh, work with the Women's Sports Foundation to create more opportunities for girls and women. Yeah, and I I have to echo your your sentiments on that event. I thought it was a very nice event, and uh, it was a great crowd. So there were a lot of a lot of girls there that were hopefully inspired by uh, all the women athletes and and that you had to to speak along with you. Um, what um, you know in terms of uh, I mean, and the bigger challenge, of course, is there's a challenge in general about women in the media and sports, but even adaptive athletes who are female even have, you know, even a bigger challenge. And is that part of your uh, scope or focus as well? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that, I mean, it's, it's kind of a conundrum for me because while we're fighting for equality in women's sports, I mean, there's a whole nother battle to be fought and won for adaptive sports mm-hmm. and, and women in that regard. So, um, you know, creating awareness is really one of the biggest steps still. I I think young girls and women that are disabled don't know that there are collegiate programs and scholarships available for them to compete um, collegiately, uh, but also then developing those programs and raising more funds for young women to be able to access that is a big part of it. Um, and, you know, there's there's a lot of young girls that I think just need to be able to see, you know, people like myself that did compete and were successful at a Paralympic Games and are continuing to advocate just to know that that's possible. And so one of the things I'm really passionate about is just being present on social media. And I have a lot of young girls that follow me there. And um, that's really important for them to see uh, because, you know, along the same lines as the equity project, if a young girl doesn't know what's possible, they won't, they won't dream as big. And so you know, continuing to just do the most I can and the best I can in 
the advocacy space is really a passion of mine for that reason. Yeah, and I, I can I can uh, attest to that. I've seen seen you do in person. You know, I've seen you do that. I've seen seen you in action in Team USA. That's that's fantastic. Elena, is there anything else you wanted to kind of talk about or or share with our audience? Well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, working with Toyota has been a big part of the overall development and progress. I think that adaptive sports are experiencing right now. Um, Toyota is the mobility sponsor of the Olympic and Paralympic Games. And just to clarify, that's not a car company. They're a mobility company. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just watching Toyota kind of embrace what it means to create mobility solutions for people with disabilities um, in such a passionate way. They they are driven by... You know, the elderly population in Japan are not living their fullest lives because of mobility issues. And that really inspired the current CEO, um, Mr. Toyota, to create mobility solutions. And then the way that Toyota's kind of taken this Paralympic Games full on has really inspired me because I've always felt like even being sponsored by some of the biggest Olympic and Paralympic sponsors, including Visa and Nike and the Hilton and AT&T, I always felt like I was kind of, and, you know, I felt like they were just checking a box, if you will. And with Toyota for the first time, I, I really feel prioritized as an athlete with a disability and I just think they're doing amazing work and I think it's changing the face of the Paralympic Games completely. Yeah and I, I would echo that as well I mean Toyota has been a, a fabulous company to uh, to not only support and the, the Paralympics had Paralympic athletes but you know it, even just to move the needle in as you said mobility in general so and and how do yeah. folk, uh, how do folks you said you mentioned social media is a, a good platform for you what what social media platforms are you involved in and you know how would people connect with you if they're, if they're interested in doing so yeah thanks for asking you can find me on Instagram at Elena the Jane A-L-A-N-A-T-H-E-J-A-N-E And then on Twitter at Elena Nichols 21. I'm also on Facebook at Elena Nichols. And uh, I do have a website where you can find all that information, elenajanenichols.com. So, yeah, I would be happy to have anyone reach out with questions or just to follow me and um, continue just to move, like you said, the needle for both women and girls in sports and adaptive athletes as well. That's awesome. Well, you know, our time, time is up. I would love to talk to you a little longer, um, but thank you very much, Elena, for being my guest today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. 